0: A search for truth.
1: We welcome everyone to the program. My name is J. Paul Newman. My co-host today is Rutherford County District Attorney General Jennings Jones. This is our 84th broadcast, which brings to a close our seventh year of broadcasting on WGNS. As we begin our eighth year, we thank Bart Walker and WGNS for providing us with the airtime. And we also thank our producer, Nick Coyne. Most of all, we thank you for listening. In our What's the Law segment, former District Attorney General Bill Weitzel will discuss an area of the law that you will find to be both interesting and educational. It is the law regarding the legal distinction between robbery, burglary, and theft— Then, in our Inside the Court segment, Jennings-Jones will tell you about recent and upcoming Grand Jury, General Sessions, and Circuit Court activity. In our Call to Conviction segment, we will revisit the case that was so instrumental in showing the need and the effectiveness of a well-trained cold case investigation unit. The case is the 1984 murder of Laura Salman. Finally, if time allows, we will close the program with our Cold Case Profile segment. We'll be asking for your help in solving a mystery. We'll begin the broadcast after you listen to these important messages.
0: Broadcasting for the tallest tower in the city with that little red light on top, FM 100.5. FM 101.9 and AM 1450.
2: Weather Traffic this hour brought to you by your hometown auto repair shop. That's first class sales and service in Smyrna. Now offering 10% off labor costs for any job. All you have to do is walk in and you get that 10% off labor cost. And if you're a teacher or student in Rutherford County or MTSU, a veteran or a first responder, tack on an additional 5% savings on any job's labor cost. That's up to 15% savings for teachers, students, first responders, and veterans on labor costs for your next job over at first. First class sales and service in Smyrna. That's first class sales and service in Smyrna. Now a look at weather and traffic.
3: We'll see mostly sunny skies here this afternoon. High in the mid 60s. Winds out of the north at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight mostly clear low near 42. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 44.
4: Good morning, Dots out. Moving this crash over to the side here in a tricky spot. is 24 westbound at Bell Road. All the damaged vehicles are over to the right-hand side. But people are still rubbernecking just a bit as they drive by here on I-24 westbound. Headed towards Nashville here up by Bell Road as you start into that construction zone. Hey, celebrate autumn at Ober Gatlinburg during Oktoberfest. Happening right now through November 1st. And got music, food, live entertainment. Check out all the fun details at obergatlinburg.com. I'm Commander Chuck your on-time traffic. This is Peter Demas, and I invite your family to come and join our family back at Demis's Restaurants. One of the things that we have always done is we have been very careful with the way that we sanitize our tables. We have mandatory hand-washing stations. Our employees are required to wear masks. We are just overall just being very careful with everything that we are doing and the way we handle food, the way we handle plates to ensure everybody's safety as they return and start enjoying the dining room experience again. Demis's Restaurants on Broad Street in Murfreesboro. What's the law?
0: Time now for an examination of the laws of Tennessee. This is not intended to be legal advice and is being presented solely for the informational benefit of our listening audience. You should always consult with an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice.
1: We now welcome General William C. Weitzel to the WGNS microphones. General Weitzel is going to tell us about the differences between the crimes of robbery Burglary and Theft. Bill, welcome to the broadcast.
5: Morning, Paul. I'm pleased to be here. Uh, you know, over the years, especially during the grand jury time, uh, uh, we would ha- be hearing cases and, and people were always curious and, uh, about the law and they have preconceived notions. And a lot of people would say, well, that's grand theft auto. And, and we hear the term home invasion a lot well there there's no law or or crime called home invasion, and there's no crime of grand theft auto in the state of tennessee and and so people uh get confused by watching t v or or whatnot uh I thought I'd start in this case by by talking about burglary uh and a lot of people think that that burglary is breaking in a house and stealing property from the house, and that's true. But the crime of burglary really involves breaking and entering a house or a business with the intent to commit either a felony, a theft, or an assault. So there there are many reasons that a person may break in a house. Typically it is to steal something. But a lot of times it's to commit another crime, such as a rape or such as a robbery or an assault. And so burglary is designed, the crime is designed to protect the sanctity of the home or other property, other structures, businesses. Uh, Aggravated burglary relates to breaking into a home as opposed to burglary, which is simply breaking into a business or another structure. So because the home is where a person lives uh, and because a person might be at home when the entering occurs, the law makes it aggravated if it is a habitation to protect not only the sanctity of the home, but because if someone is present, they may be endangered. Then we have the crime, and and we've discussed uh, this in, in the case we just heard of robbery. A uh, robbery is defined as the taking of property from the person of another through the use of force or violence. Uh, we, hear, we hear the term strong-arm robbery. Well, our statute doesn't use that. It's simply robbery. But it does uh, require force or the threat of violence to be used. Uh, a purse snatching, for instance, would be a robbery because the purse is forcibly taken from the person of another. And then when we talk about aggravated robbery, aggravated robbery is the taking of property from the person of another by the use of a deadly weapon or where the victim suffers serious bodily injury. So it's punished more severely than the simple robbery we just discussed because of the use of either a weapon or someone suffers serious bodily injury. Then we have a specially aggravated robbery, which uh, is a robbery where the victim is threatened or a deadly weapon is used, and they also suffer serious bodily injury. And that's punished the most severely. Uh, That's a Class A felony. So. Uh, Depending on how you take the property from the person, whether you use a weapon, whether you just simply use your physical force, or whether you use a weapon and cause serious bodily injury, the punishment increases. Uh, And then I I wanted to talk about the offense of theft. Uh, Theft is just taking property, and it's not taking it from the person, but what we just call stealing. We used to, uh, and I know you recall this, we used to divide theft into several different offenses. We had what was known as petty larceny. We had larceny, grand larceny. We had concealing stolen property, receiving stolen property. We had theft by false Pretenses, And we also had fraudulent breach of trust. So there were a plethora of property crimes uh, that we now lump together in one statute known as theft. And stef- theft is the exercise of control over the property of another without that person's effective consent. So if you actually take the property, steal it, that's theft. If someone else has stolen it and you receive that property, that's also covered under theft. Or if the property has been stolen and you hide it for the, th- for the thief, then that would be concealing, but it's also known as theft. So it covers a, a myriad of, of situations, and the severity of the, the crime is dependent on the value of the property that is taken it's always graded on the value of the property and in theft cases there is not a threat of injury or death to a person uh and that's why it is not as severe as say a robbery where you have that uh threat of injury or death to the person so those those are crimes that a lot of people confuse uh and uh you know, we're always, uh, we're always interested as prosecutors in trying to uh, make a determination of the, the appropriate punishment. And uh, we've made some headway in that area over the last several years. Uh, if you have a previous record of robbery and now you commit an aggravated robbery, then it's punished more severely. It's what we call a 100 percent crime. So uh, we're making some headway on the punishment uh I, I hope we continue to do that now another variation we have is what is known as carjacking and there is a carjacking offense and that's when you uh take a vehicle from the person using the threat of violence or with a deadly weapon and uh so so that's something that that is of recent vintage within the last i would say eight, nine years that we've had the carjacking offense. Uh, And we've seen that uh, uh, in response to to cases where people simply go up and and steal a car or just jerk the person out of the car. And I know we've had cases of carjacking, and they're often associated with other crimes where someone may go in and, and rob a store. Let's say they go in and rob a store, come out, their car won't start or whatever, and they go jerk them out, somebody out of their car, throw them in the street, and take off with their car. So hopefully uh, that will uh, uh, kind of uh, educate people. And, uh, uh, you know, like I say, home invasion is just another f- fancy name for Berkeley.
1: Well, Bill, we appreciate the fine work that you do. Uh, and when we return, we will go inside the courts.
5: Hi, this is Dave Kiven of Music World and Drummer's Den. We'd like to invite you to come by and see Dan, our guitar tech, Riley, our drum instructor, and Tom, our keyboard and guitar instructor. We offer lessons for any level from beginner to advanced. Our instructors are great with any age, and they'll teach you the songs you want to learn and in the way that you like to learn. Come by in Music World and Drummer's Den.
0: This is Inside the Courts. A look at this month's trials, pleas, and grand jury action. Inside the Courts is presented as a courtesy of the Rutherford County Clerk's Office.
3: Good morning, everyone. This is your District Attorney, Jennings Jones. And in this segment, I will be your tour guide as I take you Inside the Courts. We begin this segment by stating that none of the defendants named in upcoming trials or hearings have been convicted, and, of course, they are presumed by our law to be innocent. With that as a prelude, we will now go inside the courts. The September grand jury returned 124 indictments. Included within that are 13 counts of aggravated assault, 22 counts of felony theft, 29 counts of burglary, 4 counts auto burglary, 5 counts aggravated robbery, one count of murder, 19 counts of felony drugs, and five counts of crimes against children. On May the 4th, 2017, the Murfreesboro Police Department began an investigation into the shooting death of Jesse Buford. Buford was shot at the Student Quarters Apartment here in Murfreesboro. The shooting was captured on videotape. On May the 6th, 2017, Detective James Abbott arrested 19-year-old Lamoris Jones in Jackson, Tennessee. On October 1st, 2020, Lamoris Jones appeared before Judge David Bragg and entered a plea of guilty to the offense of second-degree murder. Lamoris Jones received a sentence of 24 years to serve in the Tennessee Department of Corrections. Additionally, the defendant pled guilty to theft over $1,000 in an unrelated case and received a two-year sentence to be served consecutively to the charge of murder. At the plea, Lamoris Jones was represented by Nashville attorney Wesley Clark, the state was represented by Assistant District Attorneys Trevor Lynch and Brent Pierce. Also in attendance were many of the family members of the victim, Mr. Jesse Buford. Fifty-four-year-old, 50, pardon me, fifty-four-year-old Martin Benito Montmeyer is scheduled to appear in the courtroom of Judge David Bragg on October the sixteenth of this year. Martin Montmeyer is charged with first-degree murder. On March thirty-first, two thousand and nineteen, at approximately three a.m the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to the Montemeyer home in the 400 block of Sunset Avenue in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Once inside the home, they discovered the body of Martin Montemeyer's wife, 53-year-old Judith Montmeyer. Judith Montmeyer had been killed by knife wounds that she had suffered at the hands of her assailant. Judith Montmeyer was the manager at Donut Country, located on Memorial Boulevard. Following the initial investigation, Murfreesboro Detective Jacob Fountain charged Martin Montmire with the murder of his wife, Judith Montmire. Martin Montmire will be represented by Rutherford County Assistant Public Defender Ben Wetzel. The state will be represented by Assistant District Attorneys Trevor Lynch and Dana Minor. In this case, the state has given notice that if Martin Montmire is convicted of murder, it will be seeking a sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. Martin Montmire is also being held for a Texas parole violation on two prior murder convictions. Martin Montmire remains in state custody at the Rutherford County Jail, awaiting further court action. On April 30, 2018, 17-year-old Eugene Cherubin was shot and killed at a Laverne residence, while his two siblings sat with him in his car. According to the Laverne Police Department, Cherubin went to an address in the 2000 block of George Buchanan Drive in Laverne, Tennessee. Cherubin was in the process of attempting to buy an iPhone when he was shot in the face and robbed. Cherubin later died at a local hospital. Within 24 hours, the Laverne Police Department located and charged two juveniles with the murder of Cherubin. Earlier this year, the two juveniles were transferred to the adult courts by juvenile court judge Donna Scott Davenport. Now that the two juveniles have been adjudicated to be treated as adults, we can provide their names. They are Brian Berry and Marquise Hughes. On October the 15th, Brian Berry and Marquise Hughes will make an appearance in the courtroom of Judge David Bragg. Brian Berry is being represented by Murfreesboro Attorney Derek Howard. Marquise Hughes is represented by Assistant Public Defender Ben Wetzel. The state is being represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. Brian Berry and Marquise Hughes are currently being held in the Rutherford County Jail, unable to post bond. On August 27th, Tanner Lancaster appeared in the courtroom of Judge David Bragg. On that date, Judge Bragg set a review date of October 15th to allow for further mental health evaluations. Rutherford County Sheriff's Detective Derek McCullough has charged 25 year old Tanner Lancaster with the murder of his father, 61 year old Perry Lancaster. The crime is alleged to have occurred on Friday night, September the 21st, 2018, at the Lancaster home on Brook Run Road in Rutherford County, Tennessee. Tanner Lancaster is represented by Rutherford County Public Defender Ben Wetzel, and the state is being represented by Assistant District Attorney. Dana Miner, and Trevor Lynch. Currently, Tanner Lancaster is being held at the Rutherford County Jail, unable to make bond. On December the eighth, two 2016, Murfreesboro Police located the body of Francisco Gomez Cordero in a wooded area off of Elam Road. Francisco Gomez Cordero was an Hispanic female. Based on their investigation, Murfreesboro detectives have now filed charges against Romulo Hernandez Mayorga. Mayorga has thus far eluded capture. If you have information regarding this case or the whereabouts of Romulo Hernandez-Mayorga, please contact Detective Doug Arrington of the Murfreesboro Police Department. The phone number to call is 615-893-1311. That phone number again, 615-893-1311. And that will conclude today's look Inside the Courts.
4: Consumer questions, money concerns, and more
3: right here.
0: Consumer Warrior Clark Howard. Weekdays 11 to 1 on WGNS. Rutherford County's
4: Place to Talk.
0: Have you been getting most of your money advice from your brother-in-law? Maybe you need Dave Ramsey. The Dave Ramsey Show, 1 to 4 on WGNS, Rutherford County's Place to Talk. This is Inside the Courts. A look at this month's trials, please, and grant jury reaction. This is Rutherford County's Blue Raiders station, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, WGNS, Murfreesboro.
4: Consumer questions, money concerns, and more. This is Clark Howard, and I'll take your calls on Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Weekdays
0: 11 to 1 on WGNs. Get your good neighbor events to us in writing two weeks before they occur. We'll put them on the radio and the Internet. WGNS, AM, FM, and online.
1: In this Call to Conviction segment, we will highlight the case that under the guidance of Sheriff Truman Jones provided the impetus to establish the Cold Case Investigation Unit within the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. It is also the case that with the help of Bart Walker, served as motivation for Bill Weitzel and I to create this monthly radio broadcast. It was appropriate that this case was the first case to be featured on our very first broadcast seven years ago. The case is the murder of Laura Salmon. Because of the importance of this case, the original broadcast has been remastered and will be rebroadcast today In our Call to Conviction segment, we welcome you now to this special edition of From Call to Conviction.
0: From Call to Conviction, time now for a look back at one of the more intriguing and important cases for this community. From the crime, the investigation, to the prosecution.
1: We had mentioned earlier the Laura Salmon case in which Cal Gilley was convicted, and we have with us one of the detectives that worked that case, Detective Dan Goodwin. Detective Goodwin, can you give us kind of an overview of the early history
6: of the Laura Salmon case? Uh, Laura was an 18-year-old freshman, had just completed her freshman year at uh, MTSU in May of 1984. and was off for the summer. And had just begun a job not too long before working at the then new Kroger on what was Tennessee Boulevard. On May 31st, she completed her shift, got off at about 105, left the parking lot. She was observed by a co-worker and headed towards MTSU. She was planning to apply for readmission. She'd had some rough grades in the spring semester, and uh, she was not seen again uh, until about 540 to 6 o'clock that afternoon. Uh, Her body was discovered at the end of a a farmer's lane out past the uh, stone quarry off of uh, Double Double Springs Road out there. It began then. uh, She was found out in that field. uh, Officers arrived. They cordoned off the area, took a lot of photography. No one knew who she was at the time. She was identified with her senior ring that she was wearing uh, when they got her to the morgue at the county hospital. Autopsy was performed. It was determined she was killed by multiple blows to the head with rocks that were found in that area. Uh, there were suspects immediately. Gilly was one of them. And uh, he had an alibi of sorts at the time from a now-deceased person. And uh, then some forensic technology at the time, which was nothing compared to it was what it is now, uh, came out. There was a hair found in the car that was 1 in 5,000 match for a man whose name came up uh, the following day in Metro on a rape case. And they kind of canceled each other out for a good long time. Gilly had his alibi and it was a 1 in 5,000 match, and that there was no way to put those two folks together. The other suspect, as well as uh, Laura, they could not be put, put together.
1: Now, once the case became cold, it, it remained dormant for some period of time. And I understand
6: that Miss Salmon's mother, was
1: instrumental in making sure that no one forgot about
6: her case. General Weissel can speak to that better than I, but uh, she did um, stay after police and prosecutors all along. She knew who killed her daughter, and she wanted something done about it. The case was never closed. It's all, all homicides are open and just unsolved. Uh, TBI was also investigated. Agent Carmouche was assigned to it and would regularly update the case. And periodically, detectives at my agency, before before we got there, Bill and I, they would dust it off and look at it see if they could generate any new leads, but uh, nothing had happened for a long time. when We got it in February of 2000. General Weitzel, how significant was uh, Miss Mackey's input and
1: her energy in helping to keep this case alive?
5: Well, it was uh, goes without saying that uh, she was always very concerned, uh, wanted the case prosecuted. Shortly after I was appointed uh, district attorney, she came to me and said, I want you to uh, arrest and prosecute Kyle Gilley. And uh, I told her the problems with the case, the same things that my predecessor uh, had explained and and the problem was that we had two potential suspects that mutually excluded each other. We we couldn't exclude one uh, to focus on the other. Uh, And I explained that to her, but she was adamant Uh, She felt like she was right. I also felt like she was right. But all I could do was promise her that we would do the best we could to try to build a case against Mr. Gilley, and ultimately we were successful in doing that.
1: Detective Goodwin, can you tell us about what happened when you became involved in the investigation and and what caused you to get
6: involved? Uh, A tip came in from a school resource officer at Oakland High School, David Krim. Uh, he, A teacher at his school had overheard conversation between a, a boy at the school and a friend of his, and the boy said, what would you think if you knew that your father had killed a woman and threw her in a rock quarry? So that got us looking into it. It took us about two weeks to go down that path, including uh, trying to get a prospective DNA profile on the uh, man who was being spoken of. The father the boy was talking about had actually been dead himself since 1987. He was the victim of a violent death. So we had to get a uh, prospective profile by getting DNA from his family members, uh, interviewed everybody we could. There was no known nexus between that person and Laura Salmon, but that had gotten the case started again, so we began back on the original file and uh, set out to get other dna profiles that might go back to the scene this case you see happened a number of years before dna profiling came into effect and for whatever reason none of it had been submitted before or efforts made to uh, go to those different people so we quickly especially with the uh, help of uh, manatee county sheriff's office detective uh, rick gerkin we were able to write a search warrant and get Gilly's dna in uh, april of 2000 that came back with a hit on him as being at the scene because of evidence there on uh, the 16th anniversary of her murder on May 31st of 2000. He was a positive hit for being there. We also cleared the alternative suspect. He who is He's now a, a physician in Nashville. He never knew her. Uh, in fact, uh, you, you guys caused us to check him more than once. We had his original DNA. Then we went and got it twice more and made doubly sure he was no match for anything found at the scene.
1: The physical evidence was examined carefully, and scientific evidence was a big part of this case. But how important was citizen involvement
6: in this case? Um, We began anew on the case file, went through it, looked at people, and one of the people we noticed, and she doesn't mind us mentioning her name, was uh, Kim Roberts, Kim Roberts Brown. She was a friend, of Dolores, who was interviewed that night. And uh, we went to her right off the bat and spoke to her, and she provided us a number of names that we should check on.
1: And was there a large number of people who came forward and gave testimony and evidence concerning uh, the relationship between the
6: defendant and the victim? We interviewed well over 150 people. Uh, Some we generated ourselves, and as word got out, more of them started saying, hey, um, we know something. Uh, I believe uh, as far as our bad acts go, and you can explain that, General, we found over 20, I believe it's 23, 21 or 23 physical assaults that Gilly had perpetrated on her. Keep in mind, he was a year younger, still a high school guy, and he was uh, beating on her frequently. We were able to finally use eight of those at trial. And, and, and that effect kept going. Every person we talked to, we'd say, who else should we talk to? And they had a list of names. And in, in the final analysis, what boiled down was originally, no one talked to high school friends of Laura. They talked to college friends, but not people that were still in school or had just graduated. They were, by and large, just not spoken to. Okay. And how important is it to make
1: sure that you contact every person and try to establish what was going on in that person's
6: last 48 hours? Yeah, or as far back as you can go. We pretty much knew what she did that entire week from the Friday before when both the high schools graduated, I believe, Riverdale and Oakland, all the way through to her leaving the parking lot that the day she died. One of the unique
1: things about this case was that
6: Calgilly was charged initially as a juvenile yes and at the time how old was he he was 17 when the murder occurred i believe he was i'm terrible at math it was 2001 when he was arrested so he would have been uh under 40 years old at that point i believe but he did have to be charged as a juvenile and one of the first things we did was go before the juvenile court and have to present evidence in order to get him adjudicated as an adult so he could be tried that way He was even housed with juveniles that had been adjudicated at the jail until the point he was. How many years passed before he actually went to trial? Well, I I believe it, uh, Bill and I felt like it went to sleep, Bill Sharp, that is. Uh, We had a a bad acts hearing that uh, went on review and finally made it all the way up to the state appellate court after five years. And uh, after, in 2006, they said, uh, we need to go ahead and bring this to trial now, five years after the arrest.
1: And General Weitzel, can you tell us some of the
6: interesting aspects
1: of the trial itself? Well, uh, Paul, I think,
5: I think one of the interesting aspects, uh, and, and one of the things that we really didn't concentrate on uh, back in the early and mid-'80s was uh, the blood spatter evidence. There, were, there was a pair of blue jeans that had Mr. Gilley's uh, DNA on it, and also, Uh, the blood uh, that was deposited during the beating of Miss Salmon and we we had uh, Jerry Finley from Georgia a blood spatter expert uh, review those genes and uh, his conclusion was that at the time she was killed was wearing those blue jeans because of the uh, the pattern of blood that was on them and that was a very important uh, piece of evidence Uh, I do remember this, uh, it was one of the most intense trials that I've ever been involved in and I'm sure you will agree since you were sitting there uh, next to me uh, and uh, uh, one of the things we had to overcome is the defense had their own expert uh, concerning those blue jeans but um, there were some things that I don't think that expert had anticipated that we were able to exploit and uh, I believe that certainly helped our case. <coughs>
4: Precision Air knows you want the air inside your home as safe and clean as possible. Clean the air in your home with an affordable UV system, reducing microorganisms, including bacteria, viruses, and allergens. Call Precision Air, 615 930 0088. That's 615 930 0088.
2: Weather and Traffic this hour brought to you by your hometown auto repair shop First Class Sales and Service in Smyrna now offering 10% off labor costs for any job and if you're a first responder, veteran or a teacher or a student in Rutherford County or MTSU tack on an additional 5% savings for your next job that's on labor costs that's up to 15% savings for teachers and students veterans and first responders over at First Class Sales and Service in Smyrna that's First Class Sales and Service in Smyrna now I look at weather and traffic.
3: We'll see mostly sunny skies here this afternoon, high in the mid 60s. Winds out of the north at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly clear, low near 42. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojciechski on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 44.
4: Good morning, T Dots out, moving this crash over to the side here in a tricky spot. It's 24 westbound at Bell Road. All the damaged vehicles are over to the right hand side, but people are still rubbernecking just a bit as they drive by here on I 24 westbound, headed towards Nashville here on by Bell Road. As you start into that, construction zone. Hey, celebrate autumn at Ober during Oktoberfest, happening right now through November 1st. they got music, food, live entertainment. Check out all the fun details at ObreyGatlinburg.com. I'm Commander Chuck. You're on time traffic.
1: In our previous segment, we interviewed Dan Goodwin, who was one of the detectives who arrested Cal Gilly for the murder of Laura Salmon. And we also told you about the crucial role that forensic scientist and blood spatter expert Jerry Finley played in helping the jury to arrive at the truth about who killed Laura Salmon. In this segment, you will hear from forensic scientist Jerry Finley. So listen now to part two of our From Call to Conviction. Jerry Finley is an expert in crime scene reconstruction and blood pattern analysis. Mr. Finley, we want to welcome you to Murfreesboro, and we want to welcome you to the broadcast.
7: Thank you for having me here.
1: To start with, can you tell us what a crime scene reconstructionist does?
7: A crime scene reconstructionist analyzes the evidence uh, from recovered from a crime scene, analyzes the crime scene, the autopsy, uh, and takes all of that and puts it together into the sequence of events that took place within a crime scene.
1: And can you tell us what type of information and assistance can an expert in blood pattern analysis provide to the law enforcement officers to help them investigate the case?
7: Well, in a lot of cases when you have a statement, uh, there's some parts of it that you may or may not uh, believe or is not consistent with the evidence. So, therefore, the blood pattern analyst and the reconstructionist can put together the the types of things that are in the statement that are true and the types of things in the statement that are not true based on the physical evidence and the crime scene itself.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and especially about your prior law enforcement training and experience?
7: I've been involved in forensic investigations for right uh, close to 41 years now. I started out with the Chatham County Police Department in Savannah, Georgia, and uh, was there as a forensic investigator when I retired from there, I went to work for the state of Georgia as, uh, in the Department of Public Safety as the supervisor of forensic science and death investigation training for the state. I began consulting uh, outside of that uh, in 1980 and have been consulting as well as teaching ever since.
1: In your current capacity, I know that you wear multiple hats. You offer your services as an expert witness, and you're in great demand to speak at law enforcement training seminars. Can you tell us approximately how many trials have you testified in as an expert witness?
7: 154.
1: And can you tell us uh, in what different states have you testified, or how widespread has your testimony been?
7: Uh, well, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee, uh, as well as Texas and Colorado.
1: And I believe that we have used your services previously in this jurisdiction on a couple of occasions as well, have we not?
7: Oh, that's very true, yes.
1: I first met you several years ago when you taught a week-long one-man blood pattern analysis seminar at the Murfreesboro Police Department. Can you tell us how it was that we were fortunate enough to get you to come to Murfreesboro?
7: Well, I teach for the Institute of Police Technology and Management uh, at the University of North Florida uh, in Jacksonville, and one of the officers from... Murfreesboro, attended one of the courses down there and asked me if I would be willing to, if he could get it approved to come to Murfreesboro and teach the same course up here, uh, which I agreed to, and he got it approved. So came to Murfreesboro and taught the first course. That's when I met you.
1: And I think in that first course, uh, I attended that, and during that particular course that you were teaching, we actually brought over some genes that uh, was used in the, Gilly case
7: that's true yes sir
1: and as i remember you examined those and we had you look at them during a lunch break yes sir and from that you were kind enough to take those and further examine them and then come back to murfreesboro and testify in the trial
7: uh yes sir that's correct
1: how many times have you offered training seminars to law enforcement officers in the state of tennessee
7: uh 15 to 20 times uh, all over the state knoxville murfreesboro nashville uh Memphis.
1: I know that a, a small spot of blood can re- actually tell you a story about what went on. Can you tell us some of the things you can determine from looking at a blood spot or a blood pattern?
7: Well, blood pattern analysis is a study of the size, shape, distribution and location of the various types of stains and due to research uh and in the publications and so on, we know how these stains are created. So by knowing how the stains are created, we can then determine, okay, was this person standing, sitting, were they lying, uh, were they, uh, was the perpetrator close to the victim, not close to the victim, and so on. So by looking at the stains and determining the angle, direction, and location can tell us an awful lot about what transpired at that crime scene.
1: And I know that all the listeners are familiar with Dr. Henry Lee. And I know that you're familiar with him as well. Can you tell us about your meeting with him?
7: Uh, actually, uh, I've taught on the podium several times with Dr. Lee. I also uh, taught at the University of New Haven his Forensic Science Institute up there, uh, assisted him up there. Um, but uh, I've known Dr. Lee for years, and uh, we've corresponded on numerous occasions. Uh, I've also taken courses under him uh, in Connecticut and so on. So, Doctor Lee and I go back a long way.
0: Okay.
1: I know that as an expert, you just simply put out the facts and let the jury decide. Can you tell us how you're able to maintain your impartiality?
7: Well, you have to be impartial, and you follow the evidence. You don't uh, you don't put in your feelings into any of this. Basically, I don't read the statements until after I have finished all my analysis and, and have gotten the information I'm going to get and put together a sequence of events, and then I will read the statement. Therefore, that keeps you objective and neutral. And when I testify in front of the jury, I put the facts out. This is what the evidence shows. This is and If it's contrary to what the uh, suspect says, then the jury has to make that decision as to who they believe.
1: Jerry, the audience may not know, but you are a major reason that another murderer is in prison. I'm talking about Gilly who was tried and convicted of the murder of Laura Salmon, which was our first cold case. Laura Salmon was another MTSU student that was killed, and her killer was not arrested for over 20 years. Can you tell us what you were able to determine when you examined the evidence in the Gilly case?
7: As you referred to earlier, the blue jeans uh, that we examined the first time I was up here, uh, the, there were two pair of blue jeans found at the scene, uh, one belonged to Miss Salmon, the other belonged to Kyle Gilly. Uh, Mr. Gilly's statement said that basically he had left them in her car, and that they were thrown on the uh, on the body after uh, after fact, and he wasn't there. But the impact stains on the front of the clothing of the blue jeans around the knee area, impact stains on the side of the, the jeans again around the knee area. And impact stains on the black, on the back of the jeans uh, said somebody was wearing those jeans uh, at the time because the impact stains have to be created within a uh, the, where the perpetrator or the of those jeans has to be close to the point of impact at the time of impact, and so in looking at the jeans and of course the scene itself, looking at the jeans I was able to determine that. He was wearing those blue jeans at the time. They weren't just left in the back of the car where it was, there was somebody picked them up and threw them out on the body. Uh, now, the actual incident started in her car and continued around through the, uh, on the drive there, the road. And then he drug her into the field uh, where he beat her uh, in the head and then moved the body again uh, further into the field. So all of that taken together, we were able to put together a sequence of events that, that took place, and particularly as regarding the Blue Jeans.
1: Jerry, I know there's been several television shows that actually cover the the Gilly case, and I'll have to say that they didn't give you the credit that you deserved in those shows. I believe, personally, that you're testimony about the evidence in those genes was the most important testimony concerning the physical evidence of the case. I do not want to take away in any way from the investigation of the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office to include Detective Goodwin and and Sharp, but your testimony was very impressive.
7: Well, thank you. Uh, If the agency doesn't do a good job in the first place, then I really have very little to work with. So I I have to commend the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office, uh, the investigators, particularly Dan Goodwin and Bill Sharp, uh, for their work on the case and the original work uh, that was done way back uh, 20 years prior to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because if the scene is not documented properly, if the evidence is not recovered and collected properly and analyzed properly, then there's really very little I can do. So they did a great job on that.
1: Jerry, I want to personally thank you for helping bring closure to the Laura Salmon family and also bringing the heavy hand of justice to Cowgilly. Jerry, it is an honor to know you. You are a friend of crime victims and their family. You are a friend of law enforcement and a friend of mine. And perhaps more importantly, you are an agent for the truth.
7: Thank you. I appreciate you having me here this morning.
4: sean brown at tire world on broad street did you know we specialize in commercial and fleet business we're equipped to handle all of your company's automotive needs download our tire world app today for free oil changes and electronic coupons come by today for all of your automotive needs online at tireworld.us
2: covid 19 has changed our world and first national bank of murfreesboro is here to help you scams steal your money i'm shelly rigsby manager of first national bank of murfreesboro and i'm amanda gentry Don't give your personal information to people you don't know, even if they say they're the police or anyone. Get with First National Bank of Murfreesboro, 2230 Mercury Boulevard.
0: Now a part of the Capstar Bank family. Member FDIC.
1: As we end our program today, we thank our producer, Nick Cohen. We thank WGNS for providing the airtime. Most of all, we thank you for listening. Our next scheduled broadcast is Friday morning November the 6th at 8:10 a.m. on your good neighbor station WGNS. We leave by saying a safe community is the responsibility of each and every one of us. For my co-host Jennings Jones, this is Paul Newman bidding all of you a safe and blessed day. Hi, I'm
6: Wade Hayes owner of